Hi, this is David Fishoff, and you're listening to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Our guest today is a man who has worn many hats over the course of his life. He's been an author, a producer, a filmmaker, a promoter, a sports and entertainment agent, and he's the founder of something that is really cool and I hope to be able to attend one day, even just from the cheap seats, to be able to watch. He is the founder of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, and he's at the center of a movie about that camp called, of course, Rock Camp. And if you don't want to pack up and go play with the rock stars after watching that, I will eat my hat. It is an amazing movie, and I really just absolutely enjoyed it. So it is my ultimate pleasure to be able to welcome here today, David Fishoff. Welcome to the show, David. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kathleen, for having me. It's really a pleasure. I think what's exciting about um, you know the world of Zoom today, I could be in uh, Michigan with you guys. And, Absolutely. Uh, whereas two years ago, I'd have to get on a plane and come see you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that one of the, true. that's one of the, I guess, if you want to say positives of the COVID era is yeah. that we have be- learned how to rely a little bit more on technology. And it's really opened up the, the opportunities for us to have conversations like this without having to be face to face. You know, what was so interesting that I'm in the live music business, you know, Rock Camp is a, is really an experience of live music and you know during covid we got nailed you know we 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 got killed in the period that's it you're closed you're closed no sure. way to open and i came up with this concept to do zoom calls with um you know with artists and the first one i called was mark farner from grand funk i said mark how would you like to talk to 25 fans you know i'll charge them x amount of dollars for that experience and uh, you know i'll split it with you and he said, yeah, let's do it. And we did it with him and Phyllis Cavallari. And that was the first two. And then it started building Alice Cooper and Def Leppard and Six. And we did 160 of them. Um, oh, wow. Britt Light- Brit Lightning um, from the band Vixen, she hosted them. And okay. it was amazing that we were able to put the artists together with the, the fans, you know, on Zoom. And these artists basically gave the money to their crews and you know, they're the charities and uh, Roger Dolce, he did it to give money to Teen Cats America. So, you know, it's just awesome. amazing, amazing how we're able to communicate. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Really cool. I've, that's been one of my joys uh, over uh, this whole this whole Zoom period is it's allowed me to, A, keep what little bit of sanity I had left, uh, and but then also to be able to have these conversations and, and talk to people that, that uh, have impacted our lives in, in, in so many ways. Uh, and so, David, I have so many questions, but we have so little time. So I want to make sure that I, I get a couple in here. Uh, but that's that's the big problem I'm faced with here today is that because you have quite the story to your life. And I thought that the Rock Camp movie does a really good job of highlighting your transition from being a young man to where you are today. Uh, the, the paths that you've crossed, uh, the, the way that you were willing to take risks and not give in to the what ifs, I think is a, an amazing story in of itself. But my first question has to be, because I'm a huge Beatles fan, and you, of course, uh, helped convince Ringo Starr to come out of retirement and to go out on the road with his uh, all-star band. And I am just curious what it took, what those conversations were like to get Ringo to say, yes, I'm going to come out of retirement, I'm going to go do this thing, and I'm going to enjoy it. So prior to that, you know, I put the monkeys together. And I right. brought them back for the 20th anniversary tour. And then after that, I did um, I did Dirty Dancing. And I made that into a live tour. I made American Gladiators into a live tour. And I had this business model. I would go get corporate sponsors. And I would get um, you know promoters to buy my shows in all the different states. So when I after I did Dirty Dancing, the president of Pepsi called me up. He said, you know, we loved what you did with Dirty Dancing. We were able to promote our Mountain Dew brand. And, you know, we really wanted you to do, do, we want to do whatever you want to do. We want to do it. 
And I said, okay, here's the price. You know, this is what I get to make on a tour. And he said, fine, I'll give it to you. And, but then after you make that, I'm go you're going to have to split with me 50, 50. I said, fine, let's do it. Now my brother's a drummer and his favorite, um, musician in the whole world was Ringo Starr. You know, how many people, musicians watched the Ed Sullivan show and Joey's right. six years older than me and it changed everyone's life. That Ed Sullivan show appearance changed everyone's life. You could, from the biggest drummers to the, to this day will tell you, they watched that, that uh, Ed Sullivan show. They bought a, they bought Ringo's drums, mm -hmm. they, the guitar players, the bass players. So um, my whole life I heard, you know, my brother could talk about Ringo. So I just said, let me take a, take a chance. And um, I FedExed a letter to him and uh, to his lawyer and to him and uh, to wherever I found an address for him from Capitol Records on down. Uh, six months later, I got a response, um, you know, come over to England. Ringo wants to meet you. And he guess he checked me out and saw my previous tours. Um, and I went in and I, I came in with my radio spot. It's coming live in concert. Pine Knob presents Ringo Starr, the all-star band. You know, I, used, I would do all the shows there. I'd, you know, and I, I really did. I really prepared a, a print ad, a radio spot. I walked in and told him, well, here's my idea. And um, he said, I was thinking the same thing. It was really beautiful. And his wife was sitting next to him. And uh, I offered the, the money I got from Pepsi. And I said, it's all yours. And I just want you to tour. I'll make my money selling the shows and and uh, a few weeks later his lawyer called back and said Ringo said yes so um, it was just it was great I went over there and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story back then we didn't have cell phones so I checked myself into London Hilton I bought every Beatle book in case he asked me a question I don't know why I just bought every book and I'm memorizing and taking a test and I wouldn't leave my room because the lawyer said you know come into town and you'll get in to see him either, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Just if we know you're here, you'll come in. So I waited in my room the whole time, ordered room service. I went out for five minutes to get some air. And the lawyer left a room message in my hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> five minutes. And he goes, oh, you can come see Ringo in the morning. So I went to see him. I made my pitch. And let me tell you something. That was a life-changing experience for me because he's, he's an amazing man. Amazing person. That would be yeah, quite every, a life-changing experience. Yeah, every interview I've I've seen with him, uh, he's been very, just very cordial, very kind, very you know, very sweet and outgoing. Um, yeah, he and so. you know what's interesting that you talked about the film. I didn't want to be in the film, you know, Rock Camp the film. I really wanted it to be about the campers and about the 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 artists because I learned from Ringo every time I go to him and, and give an interview and say, Oh, they, they, these people want to interview you. He said, Oh, give it to Nils, give it to Clarence, give it to Joe Walsh. He always wanted to promote everybody else in the band. Mm -hmm. And he, it's with him. It's about being in a band. And I said the same, you know, I really followed his philosophy. I learned a lot from him, but then they came back to me and said, no, David, you have to be in it. And, uh, you know, and I didn't want to be in it. Uh, I wanted it because to me, Rock Camp is about the campers going through the life change experience and the rock stars who you see in the end of the film, they go through life change mm -hmm. experiences. Oh, so, yeah. And, um, but yeah, you know, I learned a lot from, I was around Ringo for 15 years. I got to tell you that it, it, I had to grow up. It taught me a lot. <laughs> he taught me a lot. Oh, I'm sure. That's yeah, just cool. I, 15 years of Ringo start. That's. And you will then the people you meet, you know, and, and nobody just wants to, um, you know, get an autograph. They want, they want to, you know, with the world of, they want photos and things like that, you know, and, but it, it was amazing. I got to see the world, um, spent a lot of time with him and it was incredible. So talking about the movie, saying that you, you didn't want to be in it, but in the, in the movie, it meant you mentioned that you'd played one gig on bass. And then you were given the advice by your father to be an entrepreneur instead of being an artist, <laughs> which is definitely loving fatherly advice. I mean, in the long run, you can see that it worked out at least. Oh uh, Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> you know, you're right. I, I, I wasn't good as a musician, but, I, and, and my dad was amazing. He gave me that advice and I wanted to be in my brother's band. Cause that was the way you got to meet girls. The only right. way to get, the only way to play an instrument was the reason to play an instrument was to meet girls. My oh. brother, Joey was the drummer. He was the most popular you know, with all the girls. So 
Um, but I couldn't do it. I, you know, and, and, uh, that was my father gave me great advice and, and that was, you know, book six bands a night and, and don't, and don't get involved in the band. Yeah. And, um, it was great. You know, listen, parents have a lot of great advice. Parents have a lot of bad advice too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that there are, there are a fair number of independent musicians who also do the majority of their own business management. And do you think that artists trying to do it themselves are doing a disservice by trying to be their own management? Or that's a, that's a great question, Kathleen, because it's show business, and and it really is fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to really know the business. And there are books out there, like Don Passer wrote a book, Everything You Want to Know About the Music Business, or or there's another book now about you know the, the you know how to promote your career. It's not easy to find a manager or an agent to take on a new band. So you have to learn to do your own business. Now, if you're lucky enough to get selected by a manager or a record label, um, then yes, then I recommend you get the right lawyer and you, you get the right manager and, and, and you let someone else do your business. But it's not easy to find those people. And I'll tell you why. Number one, um, you know, in the world of business today, when you have a staff of people, they're, they're one to 10 Let's take a career, an artist's career, one to ten. One to five, they're really working hard. They're trying to make it. You're not making a lot of money. So if you're managing a band like that, you're not really making a lot of money. So you really got to believe in that band. Now, many of those artists who had those one to five in their in their career, they still have the same managers. When you know Bruce Springsteen, you know his manager still with him. He stayed loyal. A lot of artists didn't stay loyal. So then they have the artists that are career from five to 10 where the, so where the big star comes in and the manager says, Hey, you don't need that little guy. Take me. So I'm, I'm just saying you got to find yourself the right person, but you don't always have the right person to right. represent you. So yes, sometimes you have to be the right person, but you have to still learn the business, whether you do have a manager, whether you do have an agent, you know, I know, I remember talking to Warren Haynes, the great musician one day, he was so smart. He knew this business left and right. He knew it. And, um, you know, the artists that do know the business are usually the ones that could be more successful. That actually makes a lot of sense. And I agree, too, that it is hard to go out there and to be discovered and to to get that record deal. I know that there's so many people who want that. And then they did reality shows to get people record deals. But then those record deals aren't even that great like- no they're not great so here's what what happens so record label signs signs a band to five records and you got to make five records what happens is let's say that first record hits you know then they can go back in and renegotiate the deal and say you know i might have a five record deal but i'm not going to go out and record record two until i get a new deal mm-hmm. so everybody has to give in the the you have to learn okay Let's do it this way. I'm booking in the Catskills and a guy at the end of the year owes me $10,000. I'm 20 years, 19 years old. I go to his lawyer. I said, listen, you know, the guy owes me $10,000. He turns to me and says, well, what does it cost to go to college? $10,000. He says, you just went to college. So, uh, you know, we all had to learn um, my first merchandising deal, my Happy to Go to Tour. The uh, company gave me $15,000 advance. And then at the end of the tour said, oh, you owe us $12,000 back. You know, so so you learn. Everybody learns. The Beatles, they learn too. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the publishing deal that uh, Michael Jackson and Sony own, you know, half the publishing of the Beatles. Well, they didn't know what deals to make back then. Do you, right. know, do you think people knew what to make? So the laws are always changing. The advice is always changing. Those bands in the 60s, they didn't know what deals to make. Their managers didn't know what deals to make. Who knew there was going to be a thing called CDs after right. records? Who knew there was going to be cassette tapes? Who knew there were going to be DVDs? Who knew there was going to be downloading? You know, the right. Beatles were smart because their their people found that, um, you know, that they, they used the word records. And when it came to doing CDs, the record label didn't have permission to, to, to take their music and put it on CDs. So that's why they were the last band to release the CDs. And they went and they said, okay, Capital, you know, it's public knowledge. You know, you've got to give us $4 a CD. So each Beatle got a dollar a CD. But, you know, other bands signed records that, you know, the, the label owns the, the music on all kinds of, down, yeah. you know, you know, to perpetuity, the famous word, right. perpetuity for the rest of your life. 
on a, a slightly different leaning, back in 1986, there was probably no stronger or more important team in the United States, and that could be argued by a lot of people, uh, than the New York Giants in football. And you happen to rep uh, two of their biggest stars, Phil Simms and Mark Bavaro. Uh, more than um, that, I, I had the whole offensive line. I, I did not know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I had about eight guys. I had no, um, no kidding. Yeah, from Michigan. I had Chris Godfrey, University oh, of yeah. uh, Notre Dame, and, and Bavaro, Benson. I had Benson. I had Ard. I had the whole offensive line except Bart Oates and, uh, oh, wow. McConkey, and Phil McConkey and Jim Burt and Phil Sims. And yeah, that was uh, that was an amazing year. And they, they were on their way to the Super Bowl. Simultaneously, yeah. I'm bringing the monkeys back. <laughs> and that was a crazy year for me. So, you know, they wrote yeah, the book. Phil Sims writes in his book. He said, he said, uh, my, our agent was so busy doing the monkeys. He didn't have time to come to all our games. <laughs> but go on. The Giants were amazing. That was an amazing year. Yeah. And so where I'm going with this is that, you know, there's always two sides to every story when, when a story gets told. And so the story I'm uh, curious about is after the Super Bowl win, when Phil Sims looked at the camera and says, I'm going to Disney World, which was the start of a pop culture phenomenon that has carried on to this day. Now, from what I read, one story says that uh, this is the brainchild of Bob Eisner's wife, and it was her idea to do this. And I've read others where it was uh, you and Phil had talked about this leaning up to it. So I'm curious, uh, from your perspective, how did this all come about and how did this biggest, probably the biggest trend in sports entertainment get started back in 1986? Well, it was Michael Eisner's wife. It was her idea. He's the president okay. of Disney. He came up with the idea, and she came up with the idea that the winning Super Bowl quarterback, what they did was they contracted with both the quarterbacks, um, John Elway and Phil Sims, and they were either one, they were going to get paid. They both got paid, and uh, one was going to you know, film that. You know, that was such an interesting phenomenon that, that year because everything was, was you know, John Elway this, John Elway that, and Phil Sims was, you know, really put on the on the, on the the side burner. And um, mm -hmm. it was all about, you know, Elway was favored by nine points. I got to tell you something, that Coach Parcells, that Phil Sims, that whole team, they went out. I was at the 50-yard line of that game. That was the most amazing uh, Phil Sims, you know, really uh, – it was probably one of the greatest games a quarterback ever had in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it was Michael Eisen's idea, um, and his wife. His wife gets the credit for it. I had also read that uh, Phil was very hesitant to do that. That it wasn't until he he heard that that Elway was possibly interested in doing it as well, and then he was like, "Well, okay." No, I think when Phil was interested in doing, you know, that was the week. Phil Sims is really dedicated to football. And, you know, having Coach Parcells, Parcells wasn't big on endorsements and he wanted his players that. to, his players want, he wanted his players to focus on, on the, on the game. But, you know, naturally coming off the Chicago Bears who won it the year before, they were everywhere. And mm -hmm. it really gave me an opportunity to go out and promote these people. So, yes, I did have to push Phil to a lot of commercials, do a lot of things after the Super Bowl. But I have to tell you something. If you look at that Giants team, that was the start of Phil McConkey. You know, I remember having dinner the week before the Super Bowl, and I turned to these guys, all my clients, and I said, now listen, I'm in the entertainment business. It's the, there's a word called point of identity. Henny Youngman had a, was a comedian, take my wife, please. Roddy Dangerfield was, um, you know, I get no respect. I said, you guys are a boring team, and we got to, you know, and, but, but as compared to the, the Chicago Bears, you know, they were right. just, they were dancing, everything. And they were Super Bowl you, shuffling everywhere. Shuffle, right. You have to create your own point of identity. You are going to be in the biggest game of your life, period. And that's when Phil McConkey came up with the idea, I'm going to wave the towel. That towel waving at every game is Phil McConkey. That, mm -hmm. um, th that team also, it was Jim Burt who threw the Gatorade bottle over, over Bill Parcells. That was the start of that. That was the start of Jim Burt running into the stands and grabbing his kid and putting him on his shoulder. That was the start of Phil Simms um, doing the Super Bowl commercial, you know, going to Disney World. That team, because the Giants are a very conservative organization, 
they created a lot of stuff in professional sports. That's interesting. I I, I knew about the the uh, the Disney World portion, uh, that being the first. I did not realize that was the first time that someone had poured Gatorade over over the. That was yeah, it was Jim Burt, him, him and George yeah. Martin. They did it over Parcells. I think a couple games beforehand, but that made it popular. And 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 uh, and there was Phil McConkey who came running out of that uh, out of that locker room with a, with a towel. That's awesome. And, and knowing how how serious Parcells is about his approach to football, I have to imagine that they, the players had to be worried after pouring the, the Gatorade on him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, listen. As long as he was winning, as long as he was winning, Parcells was up for anything. By the yeah, way, so. to me, he he is. I think Belichick is probably has become the greatest coach ever in football, but he learned from Parcells and I know they're very good friends. And uh, I feel bad for you guys in Michigan. You, 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 you suffer every, every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, here. I was at the lions game a couple weeks ago when we uh, took a beating from the Eagles. 44 they, to six. That was they rough. They didn't lose last week though. Oh, they didn't yeah, lose. They did. You're right. <laughs> they lost. Oh, they tied. They, that's a they tied. They tied, but they didn't lose. I tell you, I don't know. They that team. That team. I think that's the closest they're gonna get to winning. It must be hard. It must be hard going into practice every day. You know, it's it's been rough growing up for me because I'm I've been both a Bears fan and a Lions fan. Because when I was a kid, uh, you know, in the mid eighties, of course, you know. Uh, I grew up watching Walter Payton. I, I thought Walter Payton was the greatest running. I still think, even though I watched Barry Sanders too, I still think Walter Payton, the greatest running back to ever play. The I game. do too. I think Walter Payton is, yeah. And just an amazing, amazing athlete. Um, but, you know, so I grew up watching the Bears and, and I became a fan of the Bears more because of Walter Payton. It, it had less to do with the rest of the team, but I was a fan of, of Walter Payton. Uh, and so I, you know, would watch that all the time. And then over the years after Walter Payton retired, my, my interest in the bears kind of waned. I still pay attention to them, but I'm, you know, more so in the lion's camp and have been probably since I was a teenager, but uh, it's, it's hard, hard. Camp to be in. It's a hard camp to be in. Uh, you know, we got, we've got great looking merchandise though. That's, that's right. That's, 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 that's the strong, beautiful looks great on just about anything so <laughs> i'll tell you what's interesting is how you take stafford from one team to another oh night and day difference night and day difference you know his last two games haven't been great but no but you know he's shown he's showing out in la what he could have been doing in detroit yes. with the proper team yes you know uh he was and I, he was carrying this team for so many years and people didn't realize it now he's gone and they're like oh hey wait a wait second a it wasn't that bad well, you know, know, it's so interesting because, you know, I, at every rock and roll fantasy camp, I get up there and I tell everybody that being in a band, um, you're going to be mentored by these rock stars. And the, and I tell the rock stars that um, before camp, it, for you to mentor a band, it's like being a coach of a football team. Bill Belichick gets the same draft picks that the Detroit Lions get and, and the 49ers. It's just that he knows how to take the parts and put them together better mm-hmm. than anybody. And same thing with any coach. So I tell these musicians, you're a coach, you're a football coach. You got to put together the best band. So having the best musicians doesn't mean really anything. You should be able to take a weak music, weak, weak guitar player, put them together with a strong drummer. And, you know, that's your job to coach these bands um, because some of the biggest bands out there today, their success is not that, that every musician is, is amazing, but their success is that they, they know how to be put together. And the same thing with the record producer. The record producer. I mean, let's say George Martin. You talk about the Beatles. You know, sure. Ringo's not a flashy drummer, um, but he, he made it work for the Beatles, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And would the Beatles have been the same if um, the uh, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin would have been their drummer? I don't think oh, so. No. no, different sound completely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've often, I've often wondered about that, you know, because, you know, would the Beatles have had the success that they had if Pete Best would have stuck around? Uh, right. I don't think so. Probably not. That personality you know? that Ringo added to the band and his beats it's, and things like that is, you know, it, it was, it's a dynamics. And it, it, one thing I learned in, in, in being in running rock and roll fantasy camp for the last 26 years is that being in a band is listening. 
is listening mm -hmm. to, it's almost like a football team. You know, every part has to work and individuals mm -hmm. don't work. There's no letter I in the word band. Right. It is. It's an ensemble for a Correct. reason. You have Correct. to, everybody has to work together. And, you know, talking about um, the fantasy rock camp, you've proven to be quite adaptable throughout your career. And as you mentioned earlier, the, the COVID era that we're currently living in has opened up some interesting ways of doing things when so many things were shut down and closed in our faces. But doing the rock camp masterclass via Zoom is a really cool way to overcome the barrier of in-person anything at the moment. But so obviously fans and campers would be excited about this because you still get to have that experience. But how was the response from the counselors and the musicians? How did they feel about doing this via Zoom? Okay, so um, what happened was that they, many of these artists did not believe they would ever get on stage again. So uh, it was scary. And what happened was that some of the older ones, like Fleetwood Mac said, we're never going to tour again. Um, yeah. So I thought what was great was you were getting information from these artists of things you would never get before. For example, um, they weren't promoting their tours. They weren't promoting a record. They were giving you pure, pure information. So Britt Lightning was hosting these uh, camp, these masterclasses for me. We, first of all, every artist said, I'm not in a rush. I could stay on for two, three hours. I have nowhere to go. Right. So they, they were sharing information and they weren't promoting anything, just giving you all the information you need, answering the questions slowly. And I got to tell you something, the information was so amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book now with Britt on what we learned from these artists because the number one thing, we did 160 classes. Of the classes, I will tell you the common denominator was passion. Mm -hmm. Every one of these artists, managers, music producers, um, vocalists, guitar players, they all had passion. They all had a decision to make at high school or college. I'm going to either get a regular job or I'm going to go with what my belief is. I'm going to be authentic. And they all turned out to be passionate about their lives and their careers. And the information that they spit out, it was just unbelievable. I mean, Desmond Child, you know, he's the, probably one of the greatest songwriters in the world. Yeah. And so let some uh, a woman presents her, her song, her lyrics, and Desmond was so nice, you know, about we're going to do a songwriting camp with him now, live one in Nashville, because he was so great on the, on that um, podcast. But he, a lady writes and she sends him the lyrics, I found love from Nashville to the Alamo. And he said, lady, we lost the Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just so amazing, the stuff that, that these artists wanted to share. It was great. It was really, it was, I tell you, I didn't realize we were in COVID because it was so inspirational. Every day I got inspired by by another guest. That is so cool. I know that yeah. um, we interviewed Stacy Toy, who's uh, associated with the Fan Room Live, which is the same sort of, experience um where you get a guest who comes in and you get to have a five minute talk with that guest i actually got a ticket for my husband to talk to tommy chung as our anniversary present this year oh. which he thought was the coolest thing and it was so yeah. cool he he's talking to tommy and he messaged me with the hey so tommy chung said happy anniversary i'm like did he say happy anniversary man he's like yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm like i, I Totally worth yeah, so many, totally so worth many of the artists, yeah, so many artists got to really, you know, do those meet and greets on Zoom, and, and that became very, very popular. It has, and I think yeah. that it's, it's opened up so many more virtual doors for even yeah. small podcasters. I, a, a friend of mine, you know, got to talk to Mike Nesmith of the of the um, of the Monkeys, you know, something yeah. he, he dreamed of doing, and so yeah, and I think it was great for the artists, by the way, for them to be able to, you know, they they. They need that stage mm -hmm. like we need water. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so th they need an audience. You know, I one rock star said to me, I just want to die on stage. I'm jealous of Joan Rivers. She did a show and she died the next morning. She, you know, I need that stage. Right. And, and, and a lot, there was a lot of mental health issues still to this yeah. day going on with yeah. a lot of these big names, big, big names who, you know, need that stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Understood. If you have a performance bug, you, you need to have an outlet. Yeah. I feel that. Absolutely. <laughs> so I would love to be able, 
I, and we, we talked about this, you know, uh, pre-show off camera. I could talk to you for hours about Rock Camp, honestly. Um, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. Fans Camp's an amazing experience. Um, honestly, sit down with some tea or some coffee and just let you, I don't even have to talk, just let you tell stories for hours. I think it would be a, just a hell of a fun time. Uh, because all these people are living out their rock and roll dreams, even if it's just for a couple of days, being able to be in these rooms and, and work in these bands with these people. Um, now, for those of you who are watching or listening, if you haven't had a chance to watch Rock Camp, please take the opportunity to do it. My opinion, it's a five-star show. It's it's amazing. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will watch it again probably this afternoon. It's fantastic. Um, it's on Amazon. But, it's on Apple. Yes, Fine. thank you. I was about to ask you, yes, so that's right. good. Um, so yeah, so there's plenty of opportunities for you guys to be able to watch it. And oh, and it's this. on, it's now on direct TV on the 4k channel. Oh, You'll perfect. get to see every pimple, every hair. It's a 4K. <laughs> <Yeah>. that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds so, really intimidating. So let's talk about the inception for those who have not watched it yet and who are, are, are still unfamiliar with possibly rock and roll fantasy cap. Let's talk about the inception of it, how it came to be. And, um, you know, uh, you know, who's been there as, as some examples of the camp counselors and which one of those out of those do you still kind of like pinch yourself and say, I can't believe this person's there. Well, a lot of questions here. Let's, let's, let's take it. Let's tear them apart. Jeff Rowe from VH1 classic. He was the head and uh, VH1, he approached me and he said, David, you should be making a movie about rock and roll fantasy camp. And, um, and I just went home that night and I said to myself, you know, interesting how many times you go watch a movie trailer and and then you watch the movie and you're disappointed you're disappointed the trailers are unbelievable well it always frustrated me that rock and roll fantasy camp the experience of four days i can never tell that story in a 30 second commercial for people to come so that's why i agreed to do the film um and i and i said okay let's let's go for it and he went he went raised money and and then he brought doug blush in because Doug Blush did 20 Feet from Stardom, and he's done some great films. And the biggest problem with the first few editors were that it was becoming an infomercial. And it's not an infomercial. That, that we didn't want to tell. We wanted to really tell the story of these four people. Now, we chose four people. But there were a 1,000 people who had stories. And yeah. every one of them could have been amazing. But we wanted to show the power of the music. To me, um, and it took five years to make this film, uh, I will say that, um, the most exciting part for me was basically to show you how these rock stars come down to earth. You never see Gene Simmons that way. You never see any of these rock, Roger Daltrey and, and mm -hmm. any of these musicians, Alice in Chains, uh, you know, and, oh God, it was just incredible, uh, you know, to see them and, and their reaction and Joe Perry and Nancy Wilson, and they all wanted to do it. And Roger Daltrey says, you know, I was one of them. I just got lucky. I think they all felt that, there's something that they feel when they come to camp, they like to mentor and it's there. And like Jeff Beck, he, they want to get back. And here's mm -hmm. a place you can give back. That's safe. It's not a meet and greet. These are fellow musicians who they, they, um, they remind them of the, what they were, you know? So that was exciting. Um, the biggest moments for me are the life changing moments, you know, every day, um, you know, we have a free a podcast, not podcast. We have a free zoom class every Tuesday night. As you go to rockcamp.com, if you want to learn, learn more about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, we start opening up, and we invite it to new people and to and to, you know, past campers and to new people who want to inquire about it. And you know, it's interesting. Last night, a young lady got on, and she's talked about her first experience. She said, "I was scared to go out to people. I was very shy. I was timid. My mom signed me up for this camp, and it changed my life. I was able to now be outgoing and." So to me, that's the greatest part of doing it. I'm changing lives every day. And these people are leaving camp and they're writing songs and they're joining bands and they're doing charity benefits. And it's just, it's awesome. really fulfilling. It's really, really fulfilling. Most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And, and, you know, working with Ringo and producing Dirty Dancing, The Monkeys, yes, that's all money, making money. But this is, man, this is doing this is good different. work. Yeah, it's yeah. different. I, I have to say that out of the stories in in the uh, the movie, the one that that touched me the most, there's the uh, the the father who has the the two sons, and I can't remember their names, but they're very uh, very metal based family, and uh, and oh, I believe the the, the young sons, 
yeah, the young son who had brain damage, I believe his name is Jackson. Uh, Jackson and watching yeah. Scott Keller. Scott Keller. Yeah. And he's a huge, he's one of the biggest vi uh, vice presidents at, at um, McKinsey and Company. And, and uh, that story is just incredible. And he's an incredible yeah. man. You know, that man you know, on the side, he saved my company. You know, uh, Rock Camp wasn't, it's not a great, it's not one of the great, the better financial investments mm -hmm. because you can, you know, it's it, unlike you could produce Coachella or you can produce uh, a show at Pine Knob, the old Pine Knob where the mm -hmm. seats go, you keep, you know, doing more shows. I'm limited to one drummer a band. I'm limited to one bass player band. Once that spot's sold out, I don't have any more spots. Right. And um, so, you know, he showed me and, and, and the business was rough. Everybody was, was doing great. It was a hard business to operate. And McKinsey and company came in there voluntarily after they had a great experience at camp and they, they really showed me how to turn my business around and um his story is unbelievable scott he, yes you know that that man has been everywhere around the world he's been to yemen he's been to every country wow. yeah at the uh, at the end of the show when his son is, uh, jackson is standing there playing the bass alongside of him i'm not gonna lie uh, I, uh my <laughs> you eyes get emotional oh man my eyes got real sweaty real quick yeah i um, know mine too i you know that's, yeah it's it's I, very heart touching I am, so. you know, if you look at the film, it's, I light up at that. When I meet Jackson, he comes to camp. He goes, it was just so unbelievable. And now they're coming to the next camp. They're coming to Dave Mustinka as a band, as a family. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm so excited. Oh, yeah, that so is cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Tim will try to pretend that he's not just a giant softy and anything gets him to tear up. But Yeah, oh, I, I got teary up, too. I get teary up, too. <laughs> I'm an easy crier, so of course I yeah. do, too. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, my dad... I never saw my dad cry until I took him back to see his mother's grave in, in, in Bratislava, Czechoslovakia. And I took him to see Auschwitz and Buchenwald. I wanted to see it. I never saw my dad cry. And I took him to the, you know, I said, well, you got to show me these places, you know, and he did. That's the first time I saw my dad cry. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That had to be rough. I don't it know was. if I, my brother went to Auschwitz a few years ago, and I don't know if I could do it without crying. I know. I know. It's important. You know, my dad ate every day one and a half pieces of bread. I'd come home from school and there'd be a half a piece of bread in the refrigerator. And I'd say, Dad, why don't you eat that? He says, you know, I never knew my next meal was. And he always saved it. So, you know, being a, a child, a Holocaust survivor, really, yeah. it really was really motivating to me, you know. And, and um, I got to tell you that, um, you know, life's short. And I learned that. You got to have passion what you do. And... Um, I learned a lot of lessons from him, a lot of survival lessons. It's amazing. Yeah. I cannot imagine the the impact that that has on you growing up being the child of a Holocaust survivor, but that's incredible. I mean, yeah. that's... I feel blessed. Honestly, I feel blessed. You know, my dad, and there's nothing I could do to aggravate him. How many fathers, that, boy, they, they'd whip you. They, but my father was so relaxed. He says, you can't do anything, <laughs> to, you know? So he was very calm. He let my mother do all the discipline. But, uh, you know, my dad was, yeah, he was grateful, thankful. And um, I was very lucky to have him. Very lucky. I had him to 82 years old and he wasn't a well man, but he, he was really positive and really positive and, 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 and really gave me a lot of love and a lot of, you know, he was grateful for life every minute. You can imagine what he went through. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I host a couple different shows. So in, in addition to this, Kathleen and I also work on a show called Funny Science Fiction. But I host a, a separate show that I, I host myself called Focused on Forward. And my season two finale was with a gentleman named Dr. Alex Hershaft, uh, who is a, uh, a World War II uh, Holocaust survivor. And he talked about growing up in the, the ghettos of Warsaw and living across the street. And inside of the ghetto, there was a, another camp inside of the ghetto there. Um, my dad cried there too. I took him back to see the Warsaw Ghetto. My oh. mom and dad, Oof. they cried. And that's the scene in the film. That's the scene yeah. we're at the Warsaw Ghetto. Okay. All right. Yeah. And uh, Alex talks about that in, in, in depth and, and how the impact of what that's had on him and his life. And uh, yeah, even now, uh, you know, you can't even now, imagine. You can't even no. imagine. 70 it's it's impossible to wrap your head around it unless you've gone through it. Even if, you know, it's just, yeah, there's, there's a whole lot son, of emotion there. 
I, I, how my dad survived it. I mean, I would have just put my hand on the on the electric thing and say goodbye. I, how, right. can I, how can you survive it? For my dad to survive it just like that, how many people just died? And um, no, it's it's incredible. I give my dad a lot of credit to survive, and he survived. He lived a lot of time during the war as a non-Jew, and he made false passports. There's a book called The Yellow Star mm -hmm. that's been reprinted. It's about him and his five uh, bunkmates, how they survived really? Auschwitz, okay. how they survived Buchwald. Yeah, it's out there. A company called Corin Publishing republished it. Um, it's a great out. story. Yeah, it's a great story um, about a, the the um, I forgot his name, but a general from the who's always on the BBC, who's knighted by the who who led led um, the British troops through Afghanistan. Um, he always talked about his love for Israel and on 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 the BBC. And a guy stopped him one day on the plane and says, "You're not going to thank you, uh, Colonel. You always talk about." You know, you always talk about um, Israel and you're so pro-Israel for the BBC. And he says to him, um, he gives him his business card. And he looks at the business card. He said, are you related to the author of The Yellow Star? And he says, he says, yeah, that was my dad. He says, I read the book when I was 11 years old. And that book changed my life. Yeah. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's Yellow Star. Great book. Great book. I will definitely, definitely check that out. I was 18 and becoming a certified nursing assistant and we had our first clinicals in a nursing home. And I remember getting the, the information about this resident. And I mean, it was just the, how you help him get up, how you help him do this, how you help him do that. And I'm like, okay, I can, I can handle that. Went in there to help him get dressed that morning. I was helping him take his pajama shirt off, pulled the pajama shirt down and saw the tattoo on his arm and had that moment of the, Oh, Oh, I'm okay. I, I, know. I'm like, I got this. Instant sobbing. Instantly yeah. sobbing. My clinicals instructor is like, you didn't know that? Like, no. This is the mm. first time I've met this person. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I saw I saw his birthday. I saw his birth location. I saw that he had a Jewish name. It did not click in my head until I saw the tattoo on his arm that I'm like, oh crap. I know. Uh -oh. Whoa. And he had some amazing stories, too. Oh, the stories of survival. We can all learn from them. They're all yeah. positive. Absolutely. They're, not, they're Absolutely. all positive. It's amazing. All right. But I'm going to go back to talking about rock and heavy metal. Come on. Let's talk about rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. Rock and heavy metal. <laughs> let's go heavy metal. Yeah. You know, so those are, are typically perceived to be more of a, a male-oriented, male-dominated genre of music. But you have a camp coming up in January that is women only. Kathleen, I'm so excited about it. Britt I am so excited about it. Like yeah. I love that idea. I Thank absolutely you. love that. I have to credit Britt Lightning from Vixen and who works with me every day on creating these camps. And she's let's do a women's only. We talked about it for the longest time. It's it's the first of all, it's the best selling camp out there. Um, it's gonna give an opportunity for many women to come and and be able to um, Feel, feel, you know, be able to rock out with these, learn, learn from Nancy Wilson from Heart. Um, Rolling Stones talked about it three times. Everyone's talking about it. Um, it's just a great idea, and I want to keep doing them. And I oh. think that there's a market there for, you know, because, and, and not, listen, not because to be with men is different, but you, you don't have to be self-conscious, you know? And, right. uh, you know, it's one thing to come to rock camp and be in a band and to feel like, Okay, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? But then on top of it to be, you know, with other, you know, the opposite sex and, you know, and, and I just think I'm so excited about it. I, I feel bad I can't be there. I'll go for five minutes, say hello, but I want to, we had the crew is going to be women, the photographers, women, and we're making it all women. We'll go to the public places, the public, you know, concerts, but yeah. it's getting such great publicity. So many people are excited about it. Um, and I'm excited, you know, um, she, Melissa Etheridge. Wow. So I, you know, I sent it, I sent her an offer. Her manager said, no, she gets a lot of money. I said, I'm only 70 to 80 people. She watched the film and she says, I'm doing this. What a terrific woman. Wow. And Nancy, Nancy's been doing it. Um, Kathy Valentine from the mm -hmm. Go-Go's. It, it's going to be a great camp. It's, it's going to be, a great be so cool. It is so, cool. so cool. But do you think that, or why do you think that women are judged by their gender when it comes to music? And I know that there's that notion with the, oh, she's pretty good at guitar. She's pretty good at bass for a girl. 
why do you think that that still persists when there are so many well, because obviously great female musicians? There are a lot, but the ones, you know, the ones from the 60s and 70s, they just didn't get the, they didn't get the opportunity to, at that time. Today, you have many more. The Sheryl mm -hmm. Crows are coming out. And listen, mm -hmm. I thought it was so cool the other day. I'm watching ESPN and they're promoting ESPNW. It's going to be their own women's network. Um, you know, the WNBA, I give credit to all these owners that were losing a lot of money, you know, promoting the women's basketball, but it's coming around. And, and I think that, you know, I, I, I think it's great. First of all, it's great role models mm -hmm. for young girls. And I have a daughter 14 now she's 15 and I want her to see the role model of, of the vice president of the United States. I want her to see, yeah. I wanted to see that, you know, you can play tennis and you can play sports and you can dance and, you know, and, and I think it's important and I, and it's happening. It's more, listen, it's happening more and more. Um, and you know, you're seeing these companies, uh, the, the CEOs of the women taking over and, um, I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I think it's really, really I'm important. I'm super excited about it. Like, yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. And as and soon I, as you said that you have a 14, 15 year old daughter, Tim's like, Hey, me too. Me yeah. Too. And I have a, I have a 42 year old daughter. So, you know, I, have a lot I, of I don't have one of those. Yeah. Um, I have a 42 year old husband and he's my biggest kid who needs the most supervision. Probably. Okay. So I have, <laughs> I have a daughter that I'm going to talk to you about. You should look her up. She's an amazing success. Her name is Alana Mulstein and she's a nutrition babe on TikTok. She's got a million five TikTok followers, okay. all wow. verified. And she works for a company called Beachbody. She came up with this program, Water First, Veggies Most. And she's their number one nutritionist. She sells millions of dollars of her program through, through Beachbody. And she has changed so many people's lives. She lost 100 pounds as, oh, wow. as, 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 a, as a teenager. She went to University of Maryland. She studied. She studied, the, the, you know, not diet. She basically showed people a way of life. I lost yeah. 50 pounds. She said, dad, you're killing my business. I had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> she has a way of showing people how to change their food. And um, she loves changing people's lives. That's and awesome. I'm so proud of her. And um, so, yeah, she learned a lot. You know, she'll say, you know, people say, oh, she had you as a father. But she took She went on her own. I put her in my business. She was doing great. She said, dad, I don't want to do this. I want to change people's lives. I want to go finish my master's and I want to, you know, study nutrition. Yeah. And, she, and she's great. Alana Molstein. And, um, and I say that because she's in the same business I'm in changing people's lives. That's awesome. I'm writing her name down before I forget it. Yeah. Nutrition, wow. babe. on TikTok. Funny. You can see my grandkids too. We'll, we'll check that out for sure. We both have yeah. TikTok accounts, but, uh, I, I think it's great that you're, you're, uh, setting up this rock camp for for women only, uh, if nothing else, because you know maybe it's because I have a fourteen year old daughter and I want her to see that there are are no limits and there are no boundaries to doing what she wants to do in life and it's she doesn't need to be held back by other people's perceptions of her mm -hmm. and you know what you know and that the sentence that that Kathleen said a moment ago about oh she's pretty good for a girl that drives me insane I hate that I yeah, hate that yeah. sentence yeah. Uh, it drives me absolutely insane because there are, are so many women rockers out there who will blast the faces off these mediocre songwriters. Guys. So many. Oh of yeah, them. yeah. Hey, they're all becoming music managers. I gotta say, there's getting to be more women executives than men, and uh, it's gotten to be the point where um, you're seeing in Hollywood that the women are taking over, mm -hmm. and and because they're first of all, any women that has to not only run a household. You know, they know how to multitask and they know how to get the most done because they, they got to raise kids. And I, I just, it's, it's really a new world out there. And um, I've always, you know, I learn a lot. I, I, I hire women all the time. I'm no matter what ages um, um, I, I respect the, you know, the knowledge and the insight that they give me. Yeah. yeah. I often say that life is about perspective. And if you're not willing to look at life from somebody else's perspective, you're going to lose out on a lot. Hey, yeah. I want to tell I want to tell you something that changed my life. How many I used to have all these men trainers, they had muscle men, everything like that. Then I finally decided I got into Pilates and I got into exercise. And I'm using these trainers. There's a young lady named Jennifer Jacobs out there who she's amazing. And 
um, she's, you know, she was in the Peloton trainers. Mm -hmm. You can learn mm -hmm. a lot, you know, oh, yeah. they yeah. motivate me more than the guys. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right, David, we're at a point in our show where we, we like to end it off with a, uh, a what we call the, our, our silly question. Go. So every interview gets a different silly question. Your silly question for today is I want you to think about the WWE wrestlers. They all have entrance music. Every time they walk onto the stage, out to, they come out to perform, they come out to wrestle, they have an entrance song. What is your entrance song for when Queen. you enter a room? We will, we will rock you. Mm. Solid choice. Can't even argue that. And I, and you can't, I'm a big Bruno Sammartino fan. I grew up on Hulk Hogan. Nice. So, yeah, no. We will, we will rock you. That's as it. As soon as you say Queen, I'm like, yep. Yep, yep, yep. It didn't almost didn't matter. Any choice there. Yeah, it almost didn't matter what song you were going to pick after you said Queen. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. It is uh, an easy, silly question, but it's a fun, yeah. silly question. Yeah. All right. Oh. So, David, we have enjoyed talking to you so much today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and what you've got coming out? Okay, rockcamp.com is my website. And rockcampthemovie.com. It's where you can see the film. Only $2.99. It's cheaper there than it is on Apple and Amazon. And um, you and, and sign up for my newsletter because it will tell you all the upcoming camps. We're going to do a songwriting camp with, uh, with, with Desmond Child. We have a lot of camps coming up. Um, and four versions on the women's camp. And so, um, and all the camps. Um, so, no, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. We are going to make sure that we link all of those in our episode description so that right. they can go find you. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, guys. So at this point, if you haven't hit the subscribe button for Pop Culture Addicts, why don't you take a moment and do that right now while I continue my spiel and tell you how awesome it is to have your subscription because how much it helps us get guests like David Fishoff here to have these wonderful and great conversations. So please subscribe. It helps us far more than we can ever tell you. I'm pretty I sure wanna... I, I felt them. I felt them hit the subscribe button. Hold on, so. hold on, Tim. Let, let me let me teach Tim his first lesson. Whoa! Spiel, not spiel. <laughs> spiel. <laughs> Very good. I hope you enjoyed my spiel. There, uh, you got hey. it. Now you're right. There we go. It's chutzpah, not chutzpah. It's chutzpah. <laughs> All right, guys, remember, pop culture is all around you. It influences every part of our lives. It affects everything we do. So if you're an addict like us, come back next week. We're going to have your fix waiting right here for you on Pop Culture Addicts. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at pcapodshow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 Pop Culture Addicts. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by Pop Culture Addicts or any of its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com.